Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 7, 2018. The share IDs for Friday, January 5th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10888. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10889. This morning, A Vision for You presents No More Negotiating. We come to this program as a result of the suffering and frustration we experienced in our disease of compulsively overeating. As real compulsive overeaters, we are bodily and mentally different from others. Once we put certain foods into our body, it reacts in a way that demands more of the same. And we have an obsession of the mind, which hijacks us and takes us back to those foods that we know will cause us the irresistible yearning for more of the same. We become conscious of having no choice. We can't control the amount we eat because of our body. We can't stay stopped. We can't stop and stay stopped because of our mind. Truly no choice truly no power. We find ourselves in a deep pit of personal powerlessness, which becomes the driving force of desperation to be ready and willing to do anything which will free us from the bondage of our disease. The OA 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Joining us this morning to share his experience, strength, and hope and to present No More Negotiating is Adam S., a recovered compulsive overeater from California. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome Adam this morning. Hi, this is Adam. I'm a compulsive overeater. Can I be heard? Yes. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so much uh, for asking me to be of service. I am actually, uh, it's, I'm in Los Angeles, um, and I'm sitting in a parking lot of a, of a grocery store. I ha- we had um, a family who came to get out of the winter, uh, Chicago, last minute, and then another person who's stuck, uh, who couldn't travel cause from Los Angeles back to New York. So I had a full house and nowhere to speak. So um I I went somewhere where I thought uh, I could see, and uh, I will be able to share uh, uninterrupted and without waking anybody up. So um, we go to any length, and uh, it's 5.30 in the morning here, Sunday morning, and uh, really honored to be here and share, and to share my story of recovery. Um, and I really also enjoyed that beginning, the introduction. Uh, I think it's really important to share what the what what the condition I have is. Uh, what am I? What's my problem? And uh, what's the solution? Uh, I'm a guy who's been uh, abstinent for 19 years. It was 19 years on November 30th, and uh, once over 300 pounds and uh, probably down about 135 pounds at a normal body weight. And that's the the biggest miracle of my life. 
uh, bar none, by far, uh, I can't get over that uh, that there was a time uh, one day on November in November of '98, uh, I couldn't stop eating, and then on November 30th of 1998, I something changed dramatically and, and has changed ever since, uh, due to this program. So, uh, uh, it's with, it's with gratitude, um, wonder and, uh, gratitude and wonder that I, sh- that I, that I get to be of service, um, in any way I can to the program of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm also relatively new. I, for the last couple of years, I had heard about, uh, vision and, um, and the the daily Monday through Friday meetings, and uh, I'm I, I do attend, um, and uh, just I'm really pleased as a member of Overeaters Anonymous that the community is so large and focused on on the 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 solution as it's outlined in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The the serious focus of 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 a vision for you is super inspiring. When I first got sober with food or abstinent um and it was uh it was it was one of the most the most important one of the most important meetings was the tuesday morning meeting here in the valley where i live uh and it was a 7:30 a.m. meeting it was very very focused um in a similar way um uh that that vision is and uh a, a serious dedicated um study to what is our problem and what is the solution so I'm going to try to break this down uh, to base, uh, break my experience down and what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So, what what it was like, I don't I don't know how how essential it is to tell the story of what I think the reasons are because I don't even I don't even know if they're I don't even know what the reason is. Uh, the reason for me suffice it to say that I ate like that and I harmed myself and I was willing to hurt myself. I just think I have it in me. You know, the, the power of the food, right, produces an effect that uh, I really, really, really uh, respond to and enjoy. So I, when I, when I tell my story, I don't, I don't like, I, I, it may have happened no matter what. But there is a like everybody else, I do come from somewhere, and um I'm one of six children and uh when I was five years old, my mom was pregnant with twins, and uh um she didn't realize she was pregnant with twins it was It was just before the use of ultrasound, and uh the twins were born um prematurely. I woke up one night uh terrified. My father was was doing his training. He's a physician. He was doing his training. I was, you know, I had, I was, I'm, I was, thir- I'm the third of six, and uh, my, I woke up, and I didn't see my mother, and there was a note, and she went into labor, and it was all very serious, and I went to uh, my older sister's room, and she read the note, and and we found out that lo and behold, my mom. Uh, uh, went into labor and uh, she didn't realize it, but she was having twins, and they were both very, very sick. Um, you know, suffering severe oxygen loss. The first one, um, 
the first twin came out okay. The second one, uh, the second one was the, my younger brother uh, suffered severe oxygen loss, had brain damage, and uh, was 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 impaired. And um, they tried to intervene, and and uh, you know nothing. The intervention, the intervention, uh, the interventions were failing. They sort of had accepted that this. This child was 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 going to die, and and somebody came in and did a surgery, like a you know trying to do a life saving surgery, and lo and behold, his life was saved. But he he was developmentally delayed and developmentally disabled, and lo and behold, this happened to our family, and and uh, it was a devastating blow, and I you know I felt it, I must have felt it, we all felt it wasn't supposed to happen and my parents come from a world where those things shouldn't happen it was 1974 those things shouldn't happen and um it was there's just a lot of pain in the atmosphere so i say that all um because i do remember you know oh i have this thing food right i don't you know i didn't make a direct connection but i found food and food uh, worked. I just remember even being as a small, even being five years old, feeling alone and all, and um, probably not knowing how to, how to navigate, uh, you know, the pain that was in my environment, uh, I found food. And uh, it worked. I also found with the food that uh, the grown-ups in my world don't like it when I eat as much as I want of it, and they want to limit the amount that I have. So I found out also that I could uh, sneak and lie to get the food. So, again, who knows? Who knows? Whatever was going on, it felt really good to eat, and I discovered that early on. So on it went, and uh, there set up a life where food, eating in that way that felt so good, uh, that's eloquently described in the doctor's opinion, you know, about just this, this experience that makes me potentially different from other people, um, is, is very, 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 uh, is very, very profound on me. I, I just want to read an excerpt when men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false to them. Their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They're restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks drinks which they see others taking with impunity. So for me, alcoholism, food, right, it's the same. It's a very similar experience. Something happens where my reality is, and it's totally normal to me, that I must have a certain type of eating experience uh, in my life. It's, it was essential to me that I have this eating experience, and this eating experience involves eating a large amounts of any food um, I can get my hand on, preferably food that feels really good, and eating it, uh, eating as much as I can of it. 
and trying to figure out ways to make room for life and food, but most importantly for food. And if you would have asked me then, I would have said that is normal and I wouldn't have had the language at 5, 10, 15, 20 to describe what was really going on. But from a standpoint of living, whatever I was doing, I had to have, I had to have a lot of resource, a lot of resource dedicated to having my drug, which is food. And that takes up a lot of energy, right? Life is hard enough, right? I only have X amount to give to it and I want to be present. For me, I had in, when I was in active addiction for all those years, I only, I had so little to get, I had so little left after the food. So I was operating on much less. So how does that work um, in school? And how does that work in navigating friendships? And how does that work in being a member of a community and being part of a family? So on goes schooling and um, I struggled, I struggled. And uh, it, it wasn't that I, I couldn't, it was very, very, very hard for me as a child to be disciplined and to be focused. Um, and it's really easy to sort of, you know, psychoanalyze and, 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 get into a, a, what was the problem? Was it ADD? Was it just pre-learning disabilities? In reality, it's very hard to assess how someone's doing when they're so busy in their drug, right? So I can't really make sense of what's going on with an alcoholic who's using alcohol, how, what's their functioning when they're drinking all the time. So, so think of somebody like me uh, who really had this disease early on. So I, I just found myself um, wanting, I wanted so badly to, you know, and, and, and as part of doing the work in this program, I wanted, I, I, I don't want to say that I was just uh, a, a rebel who didn't, you know, who didn't care. I cared deeply, right? The big myth, the big, uh, the big lie to myself is that I didn't care. And, you know, this, I don't give an F about anything isn't true. I cared deeply. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to, you to see me in a certain way. And I wanted to see myself in a certain way. I wanted to see myself as smart, attractive, capable, reliable, go-to guy, kind. I wanted to be seen by the world in uh, funny, funny, inspiring, you know, any, you name it, that's positive. I wanted to see myself that way. And I wanted the world to see me that way. The challenge was, is I, I wasn't that way. I wasn't those things that easily, right? I was struggling and you noticed it too. And I got very wounded when you would notice that I, I wasn't those things that I wanted to be. And, and, and areas that you could notice when you give me a bad grade, you could notice when you're not attracted to me, you could notice when you don't want to be friends with me. And that stung. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And I didn't, um, I didn't have the tools or the guidance in my life to help me navigate that. So uh, life became a, life became, I, I developed this profound sense of being a disappointment. I'm disappointed in me. You're disappointed in me. And I also grew up in a religion, especially as a male, where, where, uh, delivering a certain type of discipline and and um, and 
uh, deli- you had to you had to participate in a certain rigorous way. Um, it was like a you know there was a lot of prayer and there was a lot of um, focus on study and it could be an all day thing. And I just didn't I didn't have it in me. I didn't have it in me to do it to the standard that was seen as quote unquote good boy, right? So to be a good boy and to be someone who's 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 um, who's executing what is who's executing in a way that 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 is meaningful and people can be proud of. I, it was very, very hard for me. Um, it was very, very hard for me to deliver that. And that invited a lot of disappointment um, from parents and from teachers and and a lot of fits and starts of trying. So. I'm painting a picture of what it was like in, in, in childhood. And, and uh, as I, as I, as I entered adolescence and as I entered young adulthood, um, the theme that's consistent through it, that, that, that is most important to hear is I kept eating and eating and eating and eating. And it's a progressive illness. We talk about here. It's not a, um, it's not, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born 300 pounds. And it, it built over time. So the, 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 my world sort of got, gets smaller over time and my eating gets bigger and I get bigger. So I, in, in adolescence there, there, there's, I, I, you know, you, I think for me, at least I got this, I got this really good brain, um, even though I thought of myself as dumb, but I got this, I, I started to think about things and get things. I really get it, right? I started to convince myself that I get things. And there, you know, what I, what, 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 what I started to um, build in me was this, that I probably had before, but it just, you know, it sort of got fueled. It, got, it was like taking my willfulness and putting it on steroids. And there was a determination um, that I get things. I know this world sucks. This is the story I told myself. The people around me are, are failing me. I get the system. It's all whatever I think it is. Or it's, all, it's all BS. I know better. And I get a, a fierce determination um, to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. I, I, I don't have to play by the rules. And I'm going to get whatever I want. And I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm looking back at adolescence because I, you know, not everybody goes through adolescence in, 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 in this rebellious sort of determined way, but I really had that. I really had that thing of when they describe a typical adolescence, I was uh, in, in the rebellious way, I had it. So um, here I was, and I was, I was going to, I was going to make I was going to I was going to find a way to make you like me. I was going to all the things I wanted you to see me as smart, reliable, attractive, funny, cool, you name it. Um, I'm going to make you see me that way. You better see me that way. And it's on. And um, I'm going to figure out a way to beat the game. Don't really have to work. I can't work. I can't show up. It's too hard to show up. So I. I figure out ways to, to, to sort of the, the, the theme and, and there's a reference to this in the big book about beating the game, right? I want to beat the game. I just want to beat the game. And uh, very much uh, in my own, 
in my own story of, you know, the Bill Wilson story, right? Like, like I'm the, I need to be the man. I'm going to beat the game. So I was good at making friends and, um, in a certain way. And I really wanted to be liked. So I saw that, 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 you know, I can I can find a crowd of people who will romance and and sort of celebrate the idea of not following the rules of you know being a contrarian. You know, I don't have you know I don't I could reject everything and I, that gets me attention at that age. So I did that and um, I had this big effort apathetic a- attitude and uh, and the, the, I couldn't, it was so much for me to handle the attention I was getting as a child, as an adolescent from friends that I wanted them to like me so much in every encounter. So I didn't really have rules. So if you told me some information, if you told me something, it wasn't say it wasn't trusted, I would tell the next person. So I became a big gossip, found that that's a way to get people to like me. Allegedly, this is my, this is my, my data processing as a, as this is the way I interpret the information in life as an adolescent. So I, I had a lot of drama around me. Um, I desperately wanted um, females to like me. And um, I just worked really, really hard at that. And it was, and, and felt like, um, and remember, I'm eating and eating and eating. So at, as much as I'm trying, I, there's a part of me that, that, that has, has this sense that there's a big party out there that I'm not really invited to, and that to get into that party, I have to do a lot of extra things just to make myself, you know, have some sort of entry, entry ticket to the party that I'm not really supposed to be at. So all the attention seeking, all the acting out, um, celebrating drinking, celebrating smoking, um, anything that's badass in my eyes that will help me get in. And again, I want to sort of have, I still want certain images of, of being seen as okay. And, and I'm still going to go to college and you'll tell me I'm okay. And, and by the way, school is the best uh, escape in life because I, I, I really could do, I found out a way to do it where I can just dedicate a little bit of time, a couple times a year you know, and maybe two times a semester where I get super focused and do some burst energy that's not consistent and disciplined. And then um, the world will tell me I'm kind of doing okay because I'm in school. So I, I finished high school, um, a lot of fractured relationships because I'm a drama queen and I'm, I, I, I get into, I get into college and uh, I start and I'm eating more and more and really struggling and all the way, Remember, I, I still don't know what my problem is at this point. I don't really, I know something's wrong and I don't really have a sense of what my problem is. So I, I'm, I make up, this is the negotiation piece. I start to try, I, I want to change. And I, and, and I do believe for me, the change, I, I was, I was really getting to a, 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 a place in this disease. I took it pretty far I, I, I was always in the world, but I, I stopped. I didn't brush my teeth. I smoked. I, I, I was, I was living in, in, in such, um, in such a dark place. I didn't, I wasn't awake to it because it was normal to me. Um, I would, I would smoke 
I would ash on my, I, I wouldn't even, I was so sort of, I was so crippled and I would just ash on myself on my, I would smoke in my bed, ash on my sheets in college. Um, I wouldn't, I wear the same sweatpants every day. I did. I always showered. I never didn't shower, but I just wasn't taking care of myself. And I, I would come up with these negotiations of if I do this, then I do this, all these schemes of changing the food. I, I wasn't a good dieter. And um, there was a lot of, what if I, if I, in a determined way, I'm going to fix myself, here's what I'm going to do, right? So I would set out to, to make changes, right? I'm going to, like a resolution of sorts. And every four years or so, I had a bit of a resolution in me to make the change of self-care and um, try to sort of figure out, if I do this, then maybe life will give me this. And, um, but I got to this dark place. And I wasn't taking care of myself. And the beginning of recovery for me, and this is uh, an important part of my story at least, wasn't in the rooms. Um, it's a process. Um, that determination I spoke about, that, that, that willfulness, that I know better, that, 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 that I'm going to beat the game and figure out a way and negotiate a way to have my cake and eat it too, um, wasn't working. And somebody said to me, um, why don't you just start brushing your teeth? And somehow I listened. Somehow I said, I said, and, I, and, and this, is, this is a retrospective um, um, position, right? So I, I just know I was willing to. I don't, I don't know why I said, the guy's right. I should brush my teeth. And I wasn't into taking direction and I wasn't in, I was, I had a whole, I was, I was okay with me making up the rules of change and how I'm going to fix myself and how I'm going to fix my weight problem and all my resentment from you noticing my weight problem. Um, I was going to be the, the, the fixer of that. But somebody said to me, I took direction for the first time. I took direction and I said, I'm going to brush my teeth. I hadn't even heard of Overeaters Anonymous at this point, right? I'm probably... 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. And somebody said that to me. And to me, that marks um, the beginning of something where I wasn't in charge. And um, here's, the, here's the challenge for me. I wanted a world where I could change and I could also eat. So it was really important to me, whatever I do, whether it's brushing my teeth or, or quitting smoking and drink, whatever it was, I want to be able to eat. So that's the negotiation, right? No more to go when I was asked to, you know, what do you, you know, when I was asked to lead this thing, um, you know, what do you want to call the topic of your discussion? No more negotiating. It just came to me is, is I wanted to have a recovery experience where I get to eat too. And it went, it, so I'm 20, 21 years old. I start brushing my teeth. You know, not realizing that this is some journey of change. And um, I get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I'm in pain now. I, I, I don't have the same sort of feeling of I'm going to beat the game like I used to. I'm starting to feel, you know, the disease is progressive. It takes me further along in, in, into pain. So I, I actually... Um, go to graduate school at a helping profession, of course, thinking it's going to change me. And um, 
I had my first exposure to the concept of addiction. Uh, all I thought of uh, addiction was was um, alcoholics with paper bags. That's my that was my, you know, living living on Skid Row. That was my sense of what addiction was. And um, I was at a field placement, and this uh, this this it was actually in in retrospect it was very um, the guy was so kind. Uh, he was he was he was sick with cancer. He was in the hospital. He was dying, and he was my he was my supervisor. And he, I would go and actually meet with him in a hospital setting. And um, in his hospital, I'd wear a mask and he'd, and he'd talk to me. And he said to me, he said, it's, he said in a very sincere way, he said, it's my ethical obligation to tell you that you have a problem with food. And I, I, he, and I, I said, you know, here I am, I'm over 300 pounds and I'm, I'm just, you know, barely showing up and, and trying to sound smart and make him think that I'm doing more than I am. And I said, you know, what do you, you know, he said, he said, you're a food, you're, you have food addiction. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like an alcoholic. I, I said, I, I have to eat. And he said, not like that. And it just, you know, I'm probably 24 and they're 23, 24. And it opens up just something in my, something opens up at that point. And I almost, if you, you know, in Bill's story, he keeps trying, keeps trying. And then there's this, you know, there isn't a position that he hears about before he gets sober about the, what the nature of the, the, the obsession and the allergy is. And he's, you know, something changes and he still struggles afterwards. So my version of that is this guy says to me, he, he opens up, he opens me up to the possibility that this progressive thing that's going on, I keep eating and eating and eating and making room to eat no matter what's going on, keeping my world small. It may not just be that I can't, that there's something, you know, that I'm weak willed. I might have a condition. And um, he says to me at that time, you can go to a men's group of, there was this great men's group in Chicago where I was living um, uh, not a not a twelve step group. It's sort of a, a, a gathering of men who are trying to lose weight. Or you can go to a spiritual program. I'm like, I'm not going to a spiritual program. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, he told me about Overeaters Anonymous, and I I decided to go to the men's group. It was great until it wasn't great, like everything else. That that the the part of me that wants to lose weight in that way or to t- to arrest to arrest the condition in that way is such a determined, willful, I'm going to fix myself. I know better positions. I'm just going to do it. Right. And, and even if I'm saying to myself, I'm determined, right. I I really, really try right at a certain point uh, on my own, I, uh, on my own, I, I always end up back in the food. So I gave it one of those determined tries for a bit and, and what happens with me. And and they were great. That, That group was great. Um, every group is every, every single method, not every single method, but probably most methods work if you work it right. So the problem wasn't about the method. The problem was about my brain. So the determined approach came and it, and just like it had in the past, it, it didn't work. Uh, so I'm 24, 25. I'm, I, I remember the, I remember what the supervisor guy tells me. And I end up uh, I end up going to Overeaters Anonymous uh, in Chicago, and I and, and I'm really grateful for this experience. 
I went for like a couple weeks, maybe, maybe. And all I remember thinking was, I don't want to be here. Somebody said, walked up to me, gave me a big book, said he'd sponsor me. I didn't read it. I thought to myself, I don't go to group. I give groups. They're very sick. They're very angry. And uh, I don't want what they have. Uh, I don't want anything that they have, uh, really. And and I just sort of faded out of there, like I fade out of anything. Uh, uh, and because I know better. And um, I remember some guy like, like getting so angry and screeching, you know, running out of a meeting and you hear his car screeching, hitting another car. And I'm like, this place is crazy. And that bought me a good couple more years. And, uh, and I came back to LA, I moved back here and lo and behold, I went back to Overeaters Anonymous and I thought, I, I didn't think I was better this time. And I don't go, I didn't have that. I didn't have that same arrogance or, or as pronounced as it was but, I, you know, there's a bunch of women. It smells of perfume. I don't really relate. And, I, and, and here's the deal. I just kept eating, and I kept making room for the food, right? So I don't want to give away the most important. I want to change. I want to be a recovery adjacent. I want therapies. I want, I want to have doctors. I want all the things. And I do want to. I'm not feeling good at this point. I still want to make room for the food. So... I just keep eating, and um, now we're, you know, we're getting to the point where, you know, I go to the best doctor, I get the best whatevers, and I think this time's going to be different. This time isn't different. Um, you know, I, once again, I, I, I get that it's one more determined effort in me. I'm going to beat this thing. And I happen to be working at a place. Um, I'm 28 years old. I happen to be working at a place where I'm working side by side with an alcoholic in recovery who's my mom's age. And um, I'm working with another guy who is rail thin, who's my dad's age. And they're both my mentors in this, in this, in this workplace. And the woman tells me early on that she's in recovery. And she says to me, um, you know, she, she mentions OA and I'm like, I reject it, right? Uh, for she, I had, she had mentioned to it. I've, ah, I've been there, done that. She doesn't say anything. On November 8th, 1998, I went to the supermarket and just devoured, brought a bunch of stuff, went in my car and devoured it. I've had many occasions like that where, you know, I eat a lot. I break, you know, I've broken chairs in restaurants because I've broken couches because of my heaviness. People have seen me that way. People have seen how disturbing my eating is. And she, I don't, I mean, so I had just another one of those episodes, but I was tired and defeated. And I came to work um, on November 9th, 1998. And, uh, and she said to me, um, what's wrong? I said, I can't stop eating. And strong Italian little woman. And she said to me, we're going to a meeting. And she just declared it. And I, I just, uh, I just, you know, you know, so many people had spoken to me about my problem before, you know, doctors and therapists and nutritionists, and um, and for some reason, you know, like it, like it says in the book, um, 
there's something about the another alcoholic speaks to me that's profound. And she said, well, going to a meeting. I said, well, and I just said, okay. And she said, I said, why are you doing this? You know, I kind of, there was a generosity I wasn't used to. And she said, this is what we do. And um, I just heard it. And I started thanking her. She said, don't thank me. You're going to do this for someone else. And um, we get to this meeting. It was a Monday night in, in, in the valley here in San, you know, the San Fernando Valley where I live. And she said, she's not a member of the program. She, she brings me there and she says, she raises her hand and she says, he wants to share. And I just said, I can't stop eating. And, um, and that was, that was, um, that was my beginning. And she said, you're going to go to meetings all the time and you're just not going to eat. You're, you know, just go to meetings, abstain no matter what, and read trashy novels. I didn't really understand what she meant. And I, um, I went to the meetings and I shared that I can't stop eating. And six days into it, um, and this is to me a very important part of my story too, I turned 30. I was just shy of my 30th birthday and I turned 30 and um, I went, of course, to my, I think my in-laws were, you know, made a little party and um, I grabbed some cake I never had, tiramisu cake. I, I did what I do. I shoved it in my pocket when no one was looking. Uh, not a good move. If, you, if you're going to do that, it sticks to my pants. And um, in this, it's all sticky all over me. And um, I, I just devour it in the bathroom like I do, like a praying mantis move, thinking nobody's seeing you know, eat it in the bathroom. And here's where, um, here's where the challenge is. I get to, to Overeaters Anonymous the next day. I feel terrible. And, um, I get different messages. I hear different messages. I hear it's okay. Don't worry. You know, I don't beat yourself up. Not a bad message. I also hear, you know, why, you know, don't stop if you're on your way from Los Angeles to New York and you get a flat tire in Phoenix. Why would you go back to LA? And then what I heard, and, and I'm so grateful from him, from this, men, this other mentor at my work who I discovered was in program, this thin, this guy who's my father's age, who's a mentor, turns out he was once 100 pounds heavier. Um, he says to me, um, that's drunk. He said, we, you can't, we don't get drunk. And he said, shoving a piece of cake in your pocket and eating it when no one's looking as it's spilling all over you, that's called drunk in this program. And I heard that, thank God, because I could have gotten, um, I could have gotten such, uh, if I wanted to, um, and I was, I, I could have negotiated my way to any message I want to keep food alive. Because the message of that's okay is the same disease message that I always have, which is how can I, how can I keep a world, how can I live in a way where I get to eat in that sick way? So he said to me, that's drunk. And there began, and he said, what I want you to do is I want you to, you know, jump off the cliff, ask anybody you want, right? And at the end of the day, you no longer have the power of choice with food. And I pick, and I, and that's the moment, you know, what it happened and what it was like for me, that's the, what it was like. And here I am. And, um, I heard him. I heard him and, and I was like the, the, the CEO who was, who, who I had to be fired. 
and the board of directors voted me off and I had to get leave, leave office. It was just about my willingness to, and I was willing to. And what became the principle for me is I need to be sober with food. And for me, that meant I'm done. I no longer have the, I don't know how to negotiate food. I do not know how to make healthy decisions. Get me out of the way. And um, the description of the problem, it was so important to me. I didn't understand. I didn't understand what the problem is, especially when it comes to the, to the, um, to the compulsive eating, I, 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 you know, to the food addiction. I didn't understand what it was. And I'm just looking for uh, what spoke to me was this idea that men and women drink essentially because they like the effect. So that I got. Um, All these and many others, this is the doctor opinion, have one symptom in common. We cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people, me, and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been, it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. I had to get it out of the way. There was no more room. I, I couldn't create a world where I can eat in that sick way anymore. And... Um, you know, there's lots of um, discussion about a guy, I, something happens to me, right, where my head tells me it's a good idea to eat, um, and I don't want to admit that. And in that experience with this man who said to me, you're drunk, something happened to me where I was graced with, with a deep, um, I, I conceded to my innermost self that I have this problem and there's no way until I fully, fully surrender and, and, and stop negotiating this. And the best way for me to be sober in that way is to say, I'm done making decisions. I don't make good decisions when it comes to food or life. And I got that if I eat prior to that, that if I, eat, if I don't eat so much, I won't be so heavy. I got that. But what I didn't get that was that I have a substance problem just like anybody else who has a substance problem and that I can't do this alone. I, I cannot do this alone. Um, I, I just want to go into, so there, there begins the journey. And um, one of the, just some readings that really spoke to me, right? So here I am, I'm hopeless, but all of this, I'm hopeless in some ways, but inspired in other ways. I'm listening to this guy and I'm not a good, I'm not good at taking direction, right? I, I, I took that direction early on with brushing my teeth and I, 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 I started to have, you know, something then, but now I'm really willing to take direction. And this woman says to me, you're going to go to meetings and I'm listening to her in a way that I haven't listened to before. Cause I'm identifying in a way that I haven't before. And I remember reading, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, 
which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we've come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. I... What what really changed for me is, and why this is so different for me is it wasn't just about putting down the food. It was about living life in an entirely different way where I don't make up the rules. And the spiritual piece of this is it's no longer just me calling the shots, right? I become open to a different experience where I am a student of life rather than the teacher. And the, and and that determined adolescence that that I have of, of I'm going to tell you how it works instead of listening to how it works, right? That's such a profound change. And um, in in you know in the next uh, on on page 27, um, Dr. Jung talks about um, that it's you know his his that it's such a rare experience that he has. Uh, he's rarely encountered someone who has the alcoholic problem um, changing. Exceptions to such cases as yours have been occurring since early times, here and there, once in a while. It may be that relative to the amount of people who have addiction, it's still rare. And I'm so blessed. Alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experience. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So what spoke to me beside, first I have to put down the food, and then what spoke to me really is my way doesn't work. My way in everything doesn't work, meaning I know how to wait. I know how to drive a car. I know how to. I know how to do banking. I know how to do certain things. But as far as anything that involves willfulness in my life, anything, things that I have an appetite for in life, usually cause me a lot of pain. And the last thing I want to admit is that I'm the problem, right? I want you to be the problem, and I want to minimize the uh, the amount that I'm the problem, and the language of the book and the language of the program, right. Started to, I, 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 you know, something, something very different happened to me, right. Is that, is that selfishness, this, when, when we talk about my condition, right. I started to wake up to the idea that, you know, we talk about it on page 61 selfishness, and I'm just thinking about readings that made a profound impact on me early on. Selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. That somewhere along the line, I have a part in this that my nature, right, is I, I, I desperately want things that feel good. I want things to be the way I want things to be. And I have a hard time, um, you know, navigating what I want versus what is. 
So when I want something, I lose sight of myself and I lose sight of others. And I'm not very considerate to the flow of life and to other people's experiences. And I set in motion a lot of my own problems. And um, what the, I heard a certain type of honesty in the program that I had never, I heard as much as my training and as much of my schooling and, and life experiences in religion and so forth, I, one of the most, and I had been to these like big year-long groups before, but one of the things that really struck me in when I went to program is a language of honesty, a type of honesty that I'd never heard before. And, um, and inventorying and sharing um, were, were in that honest way. I'd never, I, I, I really wasn't exposed. And, and, you know, one of the things that was, that, that I, I love in the fourth step, um, we turned back to the list. It held the key to the future. So all of a sudden I was asked to, I was asked to be rigorously honest, not just about my food, but about my life and all my ideas and all the bothers and all the people who upset me, who didn't see me the way I wanted to be seen and the systems that failed me and all these and, and, and the systems that failed me and don't you know who I am and how come I'm not further along and how come I couldn't get that great job and that great girl and how come you did and it's not fair. All the, all the, all the noise in my head. We turned back to the list, everything I wrote about it, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. So that, that story that I'm bought into in my disease, what, what makes 12-step treatment so different is that it's not just about putting down the food. It's also about being willing to look at the story I'm telling myself from an entirely different perspective, right? And that is, we began to see that the world and its people really dominated us in that state. The wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. My narrative was killing me. And the more I attached to it, the more, I, more pain I was in. So I, I discovered a formula here that if, I'm, if I follow certain principles, right, if I join, I can't do this alone. That I got really early on. I cannot do this thing alone. I tried and I tried and I tried. There's no such thing as me. Um, I, I need, I find power, right? I have no power. I come back to the same place if I do it alone. The power, right, for, for me at least, and this changes, the power, that, that, that power was in the rooms, was in the book, and was in the principles of the program, right? Very, very simple principles of, of just be really honest about not who I want to be, but who I am and, and who I am, what my problem is, what my story I'm telling myself, share it with others, share it with others, access humility, right? Telling myself, stop telling myself what I want things to be. Tell me what it is and be open to a change that involves following principles and guidance, a sincere desire to do God's will. This is humility, right? Taking personal responsibility for my life, for, my, for who I hurt, and, and living this discipline, in it, living this discipline and being of service, right? Some basic principles, right? 
that's where I'm going to find power, right? In a group of people who identify with me, who have the same problem that I do, who in one minute could speak to me, right? And reach me in a way that I hadn't been reached before, who get me and I get them. We speak the same language. That's where I'm going to find power. And I, I knew early on that if I didn't dedicate myself to this group, these principles, I won't have power and the power to, to solve my problem, right? Lack of power is my dilemma. So I needed you way more than you needed me. So the sharing and the honesty that comes with this, um, I can't, so if I'm in isolation, I'm not accessing the power. If I keep secrets, if I don't have a form and a formula where I can process this information and share it and recognize what, how my distorted thinking, how my perceptions, how my disease is uh, getting in the way, then I will go back to what I know, which is hurt myself with food. So reflecting what happened, what it was like, what is it like now? So it's important. The guy who walked in, um, I wouldn't want to marry me. I was married, but I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't want my child to marry that guy. I wouldn't want to hire that guy. I wouldn't want to, um, I would tell my child, you know, be careful of that guy, right? He's, or, you know, I would warn somebody about being friends with that guy, not honorable, not honest. And, um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't pick me. I wouldn't pick me in any of the areas that one, you know, for, I wouldn't rely on me. I wouldn't pick me. And over the last 19 years, so, and I was very willful. I was very willful in this process. I don't want to, I think sometimes one of the concerns, I, I don't want to paint a picture that's like all raw, raw wellness. This has been a hard 19 years in many ways. At first I was super resistant. I went to meetings. I wasn't into doing the steps, right? I, all the stuff that they, I kind of mocked like, you know, ideas like making amends to self, all the things that I mocked, by the way, I mocked writing. I write every day. I mocked amends to self. I made amends to self. Um, I, I, I would ask questions like, where does it say that in the book? And um, tried to, I was, I was defiant. But still surrounding myself with people I was willing to take direction from. And one of the, my, my sponsor, the guy who became my sponsor, the original, the original man who inspired me, said, you'll know, you're, you're either going to do the steps or you're going to eat. So you'll know when. And I, you know, I resisted until I couldn't not do it. And, um, and I don't recommend this, but, uh, you know, I just was sort of riding the waves of meetings and still getting into trouble at work. Um, not, you know, uh, I've lost jobs in recovery I've gotten into some fights in recovery, um, but spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. Um, it's been a, it's been a slow incremental process of change. I don't want drama in my life anymore. I don't want to be in fights. I want, so, so the guy who walked in, who isn't hireable, who isn't, who isn't 
the, I, I wouldn't pick me as a father. I have four kids. I wouldn't pick me as that guy as a father, right? I would pick me in every area, right? Not perfectly, but I would still pick me. I'm in the game. That party I wasn't invited to, I feel much more a sense that I'm invited and I have a, there's, I have a seat at the table of life just as much and not, not more, not less than anyone else. You know, it used to be that I thought it was less than. So I had to do the steps to stay in the program. And I had to walk through this process. I had to really, really acknowledge how afraid I am and how easy, as sensitive I am and how angry and resentful I am and walk through a process of where, where am I at fault? Where am I selfish, right? Um, what's my part in things? And really walk through that process and be willing to grow along spiritual lines. Spiritual lines meaning I'm not in charge, right? What is the principles of the program say? Am I willing to grow along those lines? Or do I want to be fiercely dedicated to my willful story? And, um, and again, not easy. Um, we trudge this road of happy destiny. We don't, it's not always simple. But um, gradually, I, I, I respect and like the person I've become. And, um, and it's just, it's, I didn't write this book. I, you know, there was a time in graduate school where I wanted to write some sort of book that's going to be all about chronicling how to, how to get well. I didn't write the book. You, you know, the program wrote the book, right? It was, it was inspired, not by me. I'm just someone who, who, who found a solution and, um, and found a power source that I never had and a way of living that helps me, you know, cope. I think one of the most uh, impactful experiences I've had is that in the disease, I, I, I had such a hard time showing up. And I'm a guy who shows up and I still can't get over it. It's my, you know, I still can't get over how much, how disciplined and, and um, how, how, when, when the disease is arrested and recovery happens, how I have room to live a life where I can learn from mistakes and grow and, and grow into a person who I respect and I think my peers respect. And, uh, and I have a long way to go, right? But I, I certainly not the guy who walked in the rooms. And, um, and, and I'm so grateful for that. So um, I hope that uh, helps someone. And with that, I will close. Thank you so much, Adam, for your profound and insightful story of a transformed life as a result of the program of recovery. Quite a remarkable story of hope and possibility. Thank you very, very much. Adam's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question-answer segment. You can ask a question of Adam by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please give me your first name and the first letter of your last name as well. Who has a question this morning? This is Laura G. Laura G. Kathy K. Kathy K. Amy G. Amy G. Anyone else this go round? 
350 people in uh, <laughs> in silence here. Okay, let's start with this grouping. Laura G, go right ahead. Thanks, Leah. Am I being heard? Yes. Thanks, Leah, for your service. Uh, this is Laura G in uh, California, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, when you said um, the brush your teeth uh, comment and the, when you were um, um, wanting to hide with the piece of cake and uh, you identified as um, um, the drunk analogy. Um, I wanted to know if you, when those experiences happen, if when you went to have the behavior again, maybe not brush your teeth or maybe wanting to hide uh, again with uh, alcoholic food, if um, those memories stopped you from uh, having the behavior. Is that so clear? just for clarity, the brushing the teeth happened years before the cake incident. But in both those things, the themes that, that were, were um, the, the theme of those is, I made a mature commitment to change, however small. So the most I can do, my 20-something-year-old, young 20-something-year-old self, the most I can do was brush my teeth. And I, I, I knew that I had to do that. And there was, no more, there was no more negotiating away that minimal level of taking care of myself. And to me, that was the beginning of something right of something going in a different direction of my recklessness it wasn't it wasn't the same thing as i'm going to fix this like a like a determined you know sort of willful diet it was something has to change in my life this is all i got is brushing my teeth and in the experience of the drunk episode with the cake right it didn't it 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 it, it it's that was the last that was I had two more weeks after that, but it was the beginning of um, being willing to, to, to say that is drunk. And just like I can't hurt myself by not brushing my teeth, I can't hurt myself anymore with this. I can't, I can't hurt myself with the food. I'm killing myself. And I saw um, what it means to, I really saw how, how, I, I, how this is a form of killing myself and we can call we have to call it that we can't make nice nice with me and say oh it's okay and coddle me we ha I had to hear in clear terms this is called being drunk just like you're not and it's it's you are actually hurting yourself right you can call it whatever you want you are participating in something that is hurting you and that's the inspiration to change and and the transformation and the and the the power that I get here is I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to ever. Why would I hurt myself? The spiritual awakening is hurting myself is not an option. It's just not an option. Does it ever look attractive to to do something? Could I romance it in a certain way where my my disease can make it okay? I can have thoughts, right? But that craving, the power of the craving. To, to, to come, for it to come inside me and say, I must ha do that thing that's going to hurt me, even, no matter how I package it, it's been relieved. That obsession has been relieved um, from the program. So I don't want to hurt myself anymore. 
Thank you. Thanks, Laura G. Kathy K., your turn. Uh, good morning. This is Kathy K. Um, thank you, Leah, for your service, and thank you, Adam. It was really, really wonderful to hear your story and um, how you came to recovery and how you're living in recovery. Thank you. I would like to hear more from you about what you do on a daily basis to stay spiritually fit. Uh, yes, good question, and I, I I didn't get to that, so thank you for reminding me. Um, so the the discipline piece of this step ten and step ten, step eleven, and step twelve um, are uh, how do I work my program? So every day I wake up, I was a guy who mocked meditation, um, and I like no where does it say like a specific you know, like, there, you know, there's so many types of meditation. I can do whatever I want. I'm just going to think about things, right? That's my meditation. So I kind of minimize meditation. I can't do it. My head's too busy. Anyhow, fast forward. Uh, for several years now, I meditate twice a day, once in the morning uh, for a half an hour, once in the afternoon for 20 minutes. So I begin with a meditation. Um, I do a 10-step writing every day. And what it includes is, Uh, The first thing I write about is what's going right. Um, My head, my disease tells, loves to create problems and drama and invest in problems and things that are wrong and wrong with me, wrong with you, you know, wrong with the future. So fear and and self-pity could easily get activated. So the first thing uh, when I do my writing is I write, acknowledge what's going right. Um, as as uh, consistent with the the when we retire at night piece in the um, in the big book, you know, acknowledging what's right uh, in, in any inventory. It's not just about what's wrong. It's also about what, acknowledging what's right. So that's the first thing I do, and then I write. Um, I I put it like this: What stands between me and God? Peace, love, joy, good, trust, and faith. I was inspired by. Um, a new pair of glasses, some of the language that Chuck C. wrote about God. Um, so what stands between me and God, peace or serenity, uh, love, joy, good, trust, and faith? And I start saying what's getting in the way in me, of, of me and having a, a meaningful, mature experience. I write that down. I write a letter to God asking for help. Uh, I share it with a sponsor. Um, I speak to sponsees um, on a daily basis. Some of them, uh, one of them is going through the steps right now. Um, I usually meet with him every Saturday, and he, he's still on inventory. It's been taking a long time in a good way. And um, that's a, I take calls. I go to, I still go to four meetings a week, and um, I try to hit, uh, I try to, I like going to literature meetings. I try to hit meetings where they're reading the book, and that's what I do on a daily basis to recover. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Amy G., you're up. Good morning. Uh, Amy G., recovered uh, cultural reader from Maryland. Thank you so much, Adam, for your share. It was awesome. I was wondering if you could expand, um, you know, it says in how it works that some of these steps we boxed, we thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the start. And 
you know, you, you touch on that as far as, you know, I love how you explain it, you know, once you surrendered, it wasn't just a walk in the park, that there was effort and that needed to be made. And some of these things didn't sound like, may have sounded crazy to you, and yet you did them anyways. And I guess I wanted to ask, you know, if you could expand on that, what was the difference between finally following instructions and not before? And how you, uh, you know, was it just acting as if? And, and where did it become a part where it incorporated into a spiritual program, you know, where you felt that it wasn't calling to you anymore or you weren't just following instructions? I hope that makes sense. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What I heard is, we, you know, that this idea of being fearless and thorough from the very start, we beg of you, right, to take this super seriously from and um, the surrender to for it to have meaning and to be lasting, um, we had to take this, we had to be fearless and thorough from the very start. And, and that wasn't simple for me. And just to describe, um, was there a period of acting as if, and how did I eventually actually, you know, what first started as this is crazy. How did I get to a place of actually, I want to do it. You're not, it's not a burden. I actually want to do this. And I have a very, busy, 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 meaningful life. So my life, yeah. you know, my life is so, so, so that's a good thing. So while the book says we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start, um, if I'm honest with my story, I was partially fearless and thorough from the very start, right? I definitely acknowledged that I had to be in the program, that power comes from the program, and that, um, food will kill me. And I had to talk and be honest. I knew I had to talk and be honest. And I knew that what was going on, you had what I wanted. And I wasn't entirely willing to do what you did to get what you had. I was willing to do some things. And um, so I, so the entire, that fearless and thorough from the very start, I heard, here's, I, I knew that, that the people, there were people there I respected and, and, and I admired and I saw character and authenticity that I had, never, I had never encountered, right? Like, wow, this is a great, look at these people. I didn't know, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of its own wackiness, but these people have really changed. Some of them, some of them. And I, everybody's a teacher and, 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 you know, everybody's a teacher for me. People who are, you know, in some ways, people who aren't doing it, um, aren't doing uh, the work are great teachers more than the people and sometimes who are. I kind of, they do the research for me if I have any questions. But I didn't, I, I also heard something early on which, which got in my way, which is just be sober and everything, anything goes, <laughs> right? So you can do whatever you want as long as you come to meetings and you, you don't pick up the food in that sick way and you're honest. So I, I resisted um, a certain type of soul searching and, and I would just say, I don't want to, I don't want to do the work of change entirely. And um, what, what happened for me is pain, just like food brought me to, I'm powerless over food. And if I think I've got power, I'm in big trouble and I'm powerless over my character defects too. I'm powerless over this silly story that's my disease, the narrative that's, that I keep talking about, the disease story of 
me thinking I know better and let me tell you how it works, right? I'm powerless over that story. And I had to incrementally let go of the story and be willing to be fearless and thorough so I could have the psychic change, you know, not just about the food, but also about the way I show up in the world. And it's, and, and this is the piece that's really, I don't want to give an impression that I, that one day I did this and everything changed. It's been incremental. So the last thing to change is how I treat my spouse, right? I think I'm moving into, you know, much more, you know, being, learning how to be the husband I want to be, right, has been the, has been the hardest. Learning how to be the worker was the first thing, right? But all of these changes, these miracles, just like the food was, just like I was, uh, my obsession has been relieved. Many of my character defects, right, have been relieved. Some, some are still glaring. But I, I had an incremental experience where I slowly started to realize that I, I, I could be trustworthy. I don't have to talk about people. I don't have to be the epicenter of drama. And things started to change the more I did the work and the more I was, I, I, I was willing to be patient and stick with the process. And, and sometimes I, you know, things I asked for took things I was praying, things I, I was taking direction on that required change. I, it was very hard for me to change and, and I had to be patient. And over time, um, change happened. It didn't change up my schedule. It, if it were, I have to be careful of the part of me that says, if I do it, I demand it happens. If I do the work on God's schedule, it will happen. So um, I hope that answers the question. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. And who else has a question for Adam this morning? You'll need to press star one to unmute. Lindsay. This is Larry. Lindsay, gotcha, Lindsay B, Larry K, Tony Anita W, Anita G, Anita G. Who who did I miss prior to that? Donna B, Stephanie N, Donna, Stephanie, Toby W, Toby W, Jenny S, Jenny S. Anyone else? All right, that's a great grouping. Lindsay B., go right ahead. Uh, yeah, good morning. Uh, thank you so much, Adam, for your uh, share. You um, really helped me a great deal. I'm not sure if I know how to pose this question, but um, I'm wondering, um, and you did explain your process very clearly, but do you remember a time, the last time you really, really were close to picking up, even though you were you know, work in your program and that obsession came in, you know, maybe before you'd gotten to step nine, ten. Do you remember a situation where you really felt like you were on that fence again? Like, am I going to go back to what I know, you know, maybe because of an uncomfortable feeling or am I going to push through this? And could you share your experience of how you leaned into God and the, the program in order not to go back into that, um, you know, abyss again? Sure. There have been two, two, every so often, I, I, I'm very lucky that I'm relieved from the obsession and it rarely, rarely returns. Um, I, every so often I have dreams that are just um, 
like I'm in it and I have to come back and lie to everybody um, because I feel the, and the fever of the, of the, of the disease, I feel it in full force. That sick, disturbing eating is in my dream. And I'm so relieved to wake up. Many people have had that experience one time early in recovery prior to doing the full steps of uh, the full range of steps. I remember that I really wanted to prove to myself that I could be physically like, you know, I can have experiences that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I was going to go backpacking and um, it was super, and I was determined to do it. And somebody was being really nice and taking off a week. And I, as we were approaching, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I wasn't saying anything. And, um, and, and I, it was just, I was getting anxious about it, anxious about it. And uh, I just remember thinking about it so much and seeing like a big chocolate cake and just saying, I'm going to eat that whole thing. And that like, I got jolted. And uh, what I did and what I continue to do is anytime that happens, it becomes everybody in my world needs to know that I had a, 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 a pang of the obsession. I had, it came back a little bit. And in that moment, actually, I didn't, I had to learn how to speak up and say, I actually am not ready to go, even though I started, I had to, I wasn't ready. So I had to take care of myself and I shared and, and the the best intervention is sharing, sharing and sharing and sharing honestly in real time, real time, full disclosure about what's going on. That was probably in my third year or so or second year. And then uh, at 16, um, some, somewhere along the way, I, somebody who I really respect said something like, uh, he's an alcoholic. He said, even, even if I could drink, why would I? And he, he, what he, that's all I heard. What he meant to say is even if after 30, he had 35 years, I could pick up a drink. Why would I give up this, my station in life and all that I've built is based on this foundation. But all I heard is, all I heard him say was, even if I, all I heard in that is maybe there's a time when I can graduate and I'm so well and I'm doing well at work and I have a great family. And it sort of played in my head and, um, the guy who my sponsor um, of many years at 23 years or 24 years of abstinence, um, also like me, a hundred pounder, he actually went out and, it, and it's an important story. It started with the drink and he went out and, it, um, and I remember feeling like um, confused, stuck. I had this sort of thing surfacing in my head that maybe there's some people who can graduate. He did the research for me. Thank God there's no such thing as graduation for me today. And, uh, you know, but I remember feeling like stuck. And what I do when that happens is I, I use texting. I have a group of men in my life. We meet, we're going to meet after this. Um, we meet for a Sunday morning meeting and then a, and then uh, a fellowship afterwards. And um, I just texted them every single thought I had every single time I had it. Right. And I just broadcast it in a way which I will not keep a secret. And that's the best for me, the best um, defense against my, my, my disease. <clears throat> Thank I hope you. That helps. Sure. Helps me. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay B. Larry Kay, you're up. Hey, thanks, Leah. Thanks for your service. Adam, really appreciated your share. Um, thanks so much. And um, so my question, if it's applicable, because I, I was hearing some themes, you know, in your story, which I found really interesting. Um, can you speak to how, you know, one's devotion to the intellect 
you know, as a, as a position of personal strength. I kind of heard that in, in some of the themes when you were younger, you know, and, you know, finding sort of finding a way and being the contrarian and so forth. Um, how that devotion to the intellect, if that's applicable for you, um, can impede one's surrender, can get in the way of one's surrender within the context of the program. Thanks so much again, Adam. Appreciate it. So the humility, thank you, a great question. The humility, I have a good brain um, in some ways. I'm sure all of us do. Um, if I use it to attach to a story of willfulness, um, I will have a lot of pain. I know myself well enough to, if I'm in it, I, I like to say appetite, I'm, appetite plus urgency is no matter, fill in the, I don't care what I put in there, food or anything else. If I have to urgently have something uh, that feels good in particular, I'm going to be in big trouble. And um, I have to be very, very um, uh, careful about how, um, how my head and the story I'm telling myself, uh, especially as I'm saying it, the part of it that says it over and over and over again, right? That it keeps that committee that keeps talking. Um, so that is a massive impediment to uh, recovery. And that's the thing that ultimately I'm treating. So the humility piece of this is that I have to be teachable. I have to set aside that which I think I know and have people in my life who I tell everything to, who I'm, I'm willing to listen to even no matter what. Um, even if I'm not ready to do things that I have to listen to them and, uh, and hear and, and run. I, 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 I consultation with this woman in, in LA who passed away. We used to say this, she used to say consultation, such an important word in my recovery and um, same thing with me. So I have to be very aware of that. And the, I know betters in the program, I don't know better. Um, and, you know, I'm not, everybody's having their own journey. There's not one, I don't, I have to be careful about saying this is, this is the way, this is the only way. And I've got the answers. I don't care what, what aspect of the program we're in. You know, we realize we know only a little. And I, maybe it doesn't apply to everybody, but I have, I have to apply that to me. There, there's, I know what works for me. I can share my experience, strength, and hope. And that's, I have to be careful when the atom comes out that knows better. I hope that helps. Thank you, Larry Thank you. Kay. Donna V, your turn. Star one to unmute Donna V. Hi, this is Donna Adam. Thank you very much um, for your show. I really appreciate it. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about in the very beginning when you had the thought that um, you were absolutely done with food and what you did right in the very beginning. I don't need to know your food plan or anything, just just a little bit of share on that. Thank you. Sure. It, um, when I knew I was done, it was um, it's not about the content of the food. It's about the 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 gift I was given was I'm fired. And um, when the, when my mentor sponsor said to me, you know, that's drunk, you need to jump off the cliff. You need to, you know, I picture, you know, like I pictured myself like a guy who's, who they're going to hospitalize for, for the mental hospital, you lose your rights. And I, I, I really um, contemplated and, was willing to look at it in this way, which is I get, 
I am the problem. And this is very different than the, on a, before that, I'm not, I'm, I may have the problem, but I'm the solution. In this model, what's so helpful, the spiritual approach is get me, me, just me, absent, absent the community, the fellowship, the principles, get the me out of the way. I am the problem. And I, I was able to accept help in a very different way when I, ha- when I realized that if I insert myself in this thing, right, I'm going to be in big trouble because I all my 100 out of 100 times I want to find a reason to make it okay to eat. I can do it in the program. No problem. You know, I can use concepts like food plan and abstinence. Does that mean I can eat? I heard people talking about floating, floating fruits. Does that mean I can eat? I'm always looking for a reason to eat. And when I say I am the problem, get out of the way, um, then I can, I was able to uh, accept the help that was given here. Thank you, Donna. Appreciate it. Stephanie N., your turn, star one to unmute. Hi, this is Stephanie N., recovered in Kansas. Um, I, going back to your cake story, I was thinking about a situation I recently had with a sponsee, and I'm just afraid always of watering down the message. Um, but I had a person who she's had, you know, just been um, very diligent about working her program and was offered um, a chocolate strawberry, and she took it and ate it. And um, and then, uh, you know, she felt really bad and, and, and texted me and told me, and I said, you know, great honesty, and don't let a slip become a fall. And um, uh-huh. I said, don't let your perfectionism get in your way. Now, is that the right thing to have said? I, I, I'm afraid after I heard you, I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I never want to water down the message. But for me, I get the committee of perfectionism in my head that can say, well, you did this. Let's start over tomorrow. And so right. I told her, you know, let's, let's start fresh every second, every minute. It can be, a, a, you, know, a, you know, you don't have to. Anyways, what, what do you think? What, is, what, what would your response have been to that? So I can only speak for me and, and the way um, if I'm going to do something like that, right, it's, mm-hmm. um, if, if I were going to um, pick up a drink, um, I would not be in a very, it would, I don't care what's going on. I know for sure if I'm about to pick up a drink, something's not right with me. And, um, you know, I don't, uh, I just think it's, you know, I'm not into beating people up. I'm not into, I'm not into, it's not so much about the the semantics of starting over or not starting over. It's more about um, why am I willing to hurt myself in a given moment with with this thing? What's going on? Um, And, you know, I've, I've worked with sponsees where I've said, let's talk about it in 30 days. You know, and so I've done that before, but ultimately, um, I'm not treating perfectionism. I'm treating addiction, and if I'm willing to use my substance, right? For me, that's 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 weak. That's that's not an that's not an overnight instant matter. That that means that my spiritual condition isn't being maintained on some level, and um, that that I'm in my head and I'm I'm not connected. And, and, and it probably, it doesn't just come on spontaneously for me. It means I'm not doing the work or I'm being super willful in an area and, um, and not taking care of myself and um, doing the things that I'm supposed to do. So I don't look at uh, episodes as, 
as just like spontaneous out of nowhere. So it's important for me to look at usually when I have see people are struggling, there's been a pattern of um, something going on that is, that is, that is impeding their ability to grow spiritually. Okay. The per, the person is in like just started with, this is the first week. And so they're not in 10, 11, 12. Um, oh, okay. But, okay. So yeah. Yeah. So I get it. No, but, but then I, I, then I like the message of let's, you know, let's keep coming back and, and, and let's keep working and then start, start, forget about the, when you're ready to really be dedicated, let it be firm, solid ground. Right. And, okay. and, and, um, Right, it's different, and let's go through the steps. And I, I, it doesn't mean we don't we, you know, let's just keep keep working. It makes sense what you're saying. Okay, okay. Thank, thank you, Adam. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Stephanie. Anita G. Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Anita. Thank you, Adam. Um, <clears throat> you said something about you're not capable of negotiating the food and negotiating with the food and that you have to take direction. And um, I had 35 years of recovery from drugs and alcohol. I was, I was, you know, a hardcore drug addict. But, um, you know, and I've done the program with that, but I'm telling you, the food addiction is, I've been battling that my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I am finally willing, finally, to, to, um, Follow the suggestion that I write down my food plan the night before and and the next day follow it and just completely surrender control. And I'm just beginning to realize that what that um, what that accomplishes, I see how that what that means is in the moment I am never negotiating food with food. What am I going to eat? Maybe I could eat more. I completely um, turn that off. And as you said get out of the way, get myself out of, out of the equation. And um, that seems to be, I mean, I'm just starting this. And I didn't know if that's what you were talking about. You, you mentioned some stuff earlier about getting out of the way, but, but this idea of, um, of, um, of, of I can't be trusted to make good decisions about food in the moment. And so for that reason, I decide ahead of time and then surrender. Thank you. So, thank you. I I I, I like the. I, I, for me, I, it's very important to treat my uh, addiction um, in the way, in the same way, the discussion of alcoholism. It's it's. I'm an alcoholic with food. I'm a drug addict with food, and and in the same way that engaging, uh, in the same way that if I keep my dealer's number in my cell phone, it's probably not a good idea, right? If I'm a drug addict, um, I can't. Um, interact with my substance in a way that invites the allergy, the craving, the, and the obsession of the mind. I have to be honest about it. So I have a problem with certain substances, and I have a problem with certain behaviors around how I interact with the substance. So it's very, I am, freedom comes, the surrender comes when I'm done and get myself out of the way. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want clarity. I don't, the word, addicts love vague. I need specific. I need to, so knowing, you know, when, how much, um, 
and when it's over, beginning, middles, and ends, right? It keeps it very specific. And um, I don't make up the rules. For me, is the most freedom possible, right? I I, I don't want to be the one, you know. I I'm fired from making my own wellness plan. So yes, I I get a lot of um, uh, my surrender has a lot to do with get me out of the way. You tell me what's what's okay and what's not, when, and how much. Thank you, Anita G., for your question. Toby W., star one to unmute. This is Toby W., um, presently in Florida. I'm grateful for my abstinence today. Thank you, God. Adam, thank you very, very much. I got an awful lot out of it. But one of the things that I didn't hear was talking about going through withdrawal. And I don't hear that very often. And I was wondering if you would talk about that a little bit for me. Um, I'm trying to remember. Withdrawals like um, the, the intense cravings and challenges that come in the early days of arresting any addictions. So, yeah, um, I didn't have DTs like they do. And I don't think I didn't have shakes. I didn't have, um, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have the physiological um, experience. I didn't have seizures, right? I don't think the food does that for me. I I don't know too many people who it does, but I, I do think that, um, that what I do remember is that early time is so vulnerable. And if I, if I don't, and I'm so, um, irritable, impressionable, and, um, you know, it felt like, you know, while I felt the power, I had to stay very engaged in it. One of the um, early memories I have and one of the defining moments of the early time wasn't so much that I was having physiological withdrawal, but I so easily could have walked out of this and found an excuse to leave. And um, I had been part of a group of, of of my my other friends who celebrated out of control. We would go to Vegas every year for Super Bowl weekend, and I was so um, determined I got on November 30th, I got abstinent. The the trip was in January and I started planning the trip. And, um, early on in that first month, um, uh, that the woman who brought me, who Eskimo me really said, what trip? I'm like, I'm going to Vegas. And she's like, no, you're not. And she's like, crazy. And, um, and the surrender there, um, the surrender early on, I think once I was willing not to do that, and I, I, I mean, uh, I had a lot of relief from the early cravings when I knew I was dedicated. So um, I actually don't remember um, having intense physical cravings after that. Um, it, it just sort of dissolved early on. But in the beginning, it felt very, very fragile. And, and I just kept, I went to I went to meetings every day and called and, and got super involved um, with the community. And I just, I made tons of phone calls to get through that time, but I don't remember the specifics of physical cravings. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Toby W. 
Our final question for this morning comes from Ginny S. Star one to unmute. Thank you. And um, thank you so much for sharing your story and your recovery with us. And um, this is a ninth step question. You shared with us um, about your family growing up, and then you also shared with us about coming in the program and working the steps. And I'm wondering if you could share a ninth step example with us, an example of how you work step nine. I know my worst one. (laughs) I just uh, thought of it as I walked up to somebody, a teacher, and I was like spearheading getting this guy fired and uh i prepared it and i i was impulsive on this one and i didn't i i i didn't fully vet it with my sponsor and i i walked up to him and i'm like he and before i said i started saying listen i'm a 12-step program and he just like i don't want to talk to you <laughs> this was he he wouldn't I, I i you know he wouldn't talk to me but um how do i work the ninth step with um family is um a, I don't make if I'm not going to make a commitment to the amends until I'm actually willing to change, and I've done it a couple of ways. Um, I've made direct amends where um, where I've approached people and I've said, you know, I, you know, you know, I've, I've identified the the wrongdoing and and the harm I've caused, and um, I've also sent people letters um, where and the the instruction around that is giving people their own experience to, so they don't have to accommodate me, let them have their own experience in reading, in reading it. Um, to my parents, just, um, I'll just give one, a couple examples to my parents. I, I was such a, so invested in tearing down their beliefs um, and writing them independently letters of how I spent so much time um, trying to contaminate what was important to them uh, publicly to them and um, and more importantly than that is is really trying to not do it anymore and um, the amends isn't just about that and the encounter of owning my behavior it's about changing my behavior so I hope that helps yes thank you thank you Jenny thank you to all who Pose questions this morning and of course thank you Adam for your generous spirit with all of us this morning it's been a blessing to have you on the line today thank you the share ID for today's presentation 10897 that's 10,897 for this morning's Sunday special edition we're going to close from page 164 which is found in the chapter entitled a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. 
and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.